0: Now more than ever, it's important that businesses realise that having a purpose isn't enough if you haven't got a clear plan to deliver that in the new post-Covid-19 world. I'm joined by Brian Gilvery, Chief Financial Officer at BP. Brian really understands the importance of purpose within business and how levelling up Britain really relies on businesses understanding the opportunity gap and having a plan for how they can help close it. Brian, thanks so much for joining us. You obviously joined BP back in 1986. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey up to that point, how you got there in the first place, but also your sense of how BP has changed in the years that you've been part of it? Thanks,
1: Justine. And I guess probably the place to start is where I was sort of born in um, a relatively modest, uh, humble Liverpool council. Uh, prefab, as they were post World War II in a place called Gatica in Liverpool back in 1962.
0: Um, and I, I, my journey
1: was one of, um, I guess, accelerated development over my uh, younger days because I had learning difficulties up to about the age of seven. Those learning difficulties were actually discovered by a teacher who realized I needed glasses. So it wasn't something which is built in that needed addressing through any other means other than the fact that actually once I got spectacles I could start to see the blackboard and I could start to progress. Um, And I pretty much went through uh, what was a local school, state school system uh, through a comprehensive um, and managed to get myself qualifications. I always wanted to join the Royal Navy when I was at school. It's what all my cousins, my father, my grandfather, the whole history of the family went through the Navy it was Liverpool it was a big port, uh, but actually as it happens through some pretty important moments through some certain teachers I had at school, they saw something that could be developed further if I was sort of prepared to knuckle down. My mother was a big pusher of education. she thought education would be a way out of um, certainly in terms of moving away from the typical route I would have gone um, and then went to university, got qualifications went on, did a PhD, joined BP as a technologist in the mid eighties. At a time when, yeah, the university track that I'd gone through was not the sort of typical one coming into BP, BP it was state owned, 30% by the government at that point. Um, There were a lot of civil servant types within BP um, and uh, you would normally have come from one of maybe two or three universities to be inside BP and therefore coming through with a sort of council house state education background was already starting to look quite different to what the norm would be within BP. And I think I was always very self-conscious of that in my early days of joining BP that I sort of, you know, this thing which I've talked a lot about recently within BP, this sort of imposter syndrome that we talk about where you feel like actually you're in the wrong place and you shouldn't be where you found yourself. Um, And then I sort of progressed through a career at BP um, over the next three decades and ended up as CFO.
0: It is an amazing journey. And I think probably the company's changed a huge amount over that time. Um, One of the the things that my sense is on BP that has changed is that how the company looks at its human capital, if you like, and how it looks at talent has changed. And that there is a sense that, it needs to be a business that is really open to a, a much more diverse talent pool, if you like, in the future than it perhaps has been in the past. You know, you, you paint a picture almost of being the exception that proves the rule. But in a way, you also demonstrated that once you're in that company, clearly you had huge potential to rise to the very top of it.
1: Yeah, no, and I think, I mean, I've said this before, and it's on record, that actually, had I joined, BP was unique, in and I think it was going through a massive change. It sort of got liberated from its government ownership in the, in the late 80s, rather, you know, on the, on the famous Black Monday, uh, when the shares were sold at a very deep discount. Um, and the Q80s came in and took about 20% control. So it's gone through massive change itself. I don't think I could have been as successful had the company not had one basic... Um, underlying value which is meritocracy and the idea that it doesn't matter where you come from what your race is what your gender is the best people or the people that can demonstrate that they can perform will have opportunities to progress through the organization and I think it's something which carries through to today and I think COVID-19 for me has just highlighted in a very acute sense that no company in the future is going to be successful unless it's leadership, the people in some of the key positions around the world. And if you think of BP as a global enterprise operating across 60 to 70 countries, the company is going to have to reflect the local people where it operates and the diversity of the people within those nations. And so for me, it's interesting, So, the social mobility has risen up the, um, the agenda within BP of late, uh, driven as much by um, the fact that we think of diversity in its broadest sense. And you want a population, you want a leadership running the company that understands all the facets of the markets in which they're operating. And that means you need to understand what it's like if you're looking to sell products in uh, North Yorkshire or you know, down in the southwest. It, what's, what's the local market that you're trying to attract yourself towards and you need to have a bit of a sense of what are the challenges facing those individual people so I think a big part for me at BP has always been um, it, it's, its meritocracy as being a sort of key underlying value for the company.
0: The FTSE purpose index that we've launched this week really does put that focus on the work that companies are doing on opportunity in the post-COVID world, why do you think that becomes even more important? What's your sense of how it changes? And also, how have you seen other CFOs in, in other big companies in the FTSE 100 change their views on that?
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think, I think there's, if we think about social mobility as a specific area of this. The system tends to be skewed right from the very early stages, right through into, into the sort of latter parts of the whole spectrum. Uh, and we've seen that, I think, you know, you saw it with the education issues of people, you know, homeschooling. Those kids from underprivileged backgrounds are likely to get not as well homeschooled as those from private schools. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with kids from private schools getting school well at home. It just means that the gap is getting bigger. Mm. And understanding that opportunity gap, both, driven by social mobility and Covid-19 because of the consequences of Covid-19, I think is really important for every business. And I think one of the reasons why for BP it was easy to sign up to the Social Mobility Pledge was actually it's completely in sync with what we're trying to do in terms of trying to create a diverse group uh, workforce progress through the organization and actually I I, I chair the hundred group of FTSE uh, 100 directors in fact we talked about the social mobility pledge two weeks ago at my last meeting when I stepped down at the end of June after my two-year term Um, and it certainly resonated with some of the CFOs of some of the largest companies um, in the country uh, when I laid out the areas that we're looking at and why creating an index that we can work with and I think it'll be important for that index to sit within the business frame to understand what the risks are each business is going to have to deal with in a post-COVID-19 world. And for some, this will be a much higher priority. For others, the key is to recognise it's there and to to nestle it into the list of priorities that you're trying to deal with post-COVID-19.
0: Do you think that there's a shift underway in the FTSE 100, uh, maybe a wider corporate Britain to really understand this issue of social mobility and opportunity post COVID? Are you seeing it rising up the agenda over time?
1: I think for the UK, I think the election of whenever it was is it 12 months ago, or maybe even seven or eight months ago, it wasn't that long ago. But <laughs> Not that long. I think what that, what, what that election confirmed was, the thing which I think has resonated and look, I, I, I do a lot of, I try and do speakers for schools uh, every year and I tend to focus on Sheffield, Manchester, Liverpool, three places where I've got a sort of a, if you like, i vested in the early parts of my life at the universities in Sheffield, Manchester, and of course, at Liverpool being brought up there to the AU18. Um, and what is clear to me is um, the levelling up agenda. As it was described by the government has resonated in those really important parts of the north of England um, and I think it's important now we start to deliver on some of that. I think that leveling up is absolutely about how do we make sure we give everybody an equal opportunity in terms of progress and going forward and have opportunities for everybody. I'm not convinced that today if I, I, I've joked about, you know, I've done I've, this, I sit on the board of the Royal Navy, and I've said to people inside the Navy, I would have, it, today, I would almost certainly have gone through the naval route, because there is no way my family, my father was a boiler man, my mum worked in a biscuit factory, there's no way they would have let me be laden with the equivalent of £40,000 worth of debt, which is whatever that would look like back in the 1970s, late 70s, 80s. I would have almost certainly gone through a naval route, and I actually think the Royal Navy is one of our greatest social mobility um, areas that we have, where they take people uh, from relatively uh, many different backgrounds and they give them careers, they give them education, they give them university. So maybe I'd have ended up in a a senior position within the Navy. Who knows? Uh, That would be for them to choose. But I think the fact that we all have equal opportunities I think is really important. So I think this whole levelling up agenda for me, we've got to start to see some tangible moves now demonstrate that that's actually what we're
0: doing yeah and I think for a long long time in a way it's always been jammed tomorrow for people hasn't it you know this thing was being done and it was always going to help improve their lives in about three or four years and and almost the three or four years came and went and and actually it sort of seemed like things were exactly the same as they were before and I think that's the difference now is people really do want to see change on the ground but my sense is that the other interesting change that's happening is people's attitudes towards the role that business can play has become a much wider one perhaps than it was even three four five years ago I think they have a real sense after the work that so many companies did on helping uh, during the lockdown I think they have a real sense that companies can do a lot more on, on other issues and, and actually be much more of the solution Um, in the future than perhaps they've seen themselves in the past and it really goes to the heart of this whole issue that many companies are talking about now which is purpose what's your sense about the purpose agenda brand do you do you think that for some companies it's real but for others it's really more just almost corporate reputation advertising
1: well i mean it's interesting because i think purpose as um bubble it's way to the top i think if you know if you go back to days of um um, way back in the 50s, where, where, you know, there was a great, um, basically, that said, business is, uh, is here to serve one, one thing, and that's shareholder. And therefore, that they need to drive and focus on shareholder returns, and that's the primacy purpose. That has changed hugely, certainly over the last 10 years. If I think about investor meetings I was doing 10 years ago, when I first came in as CFO, or well, nine years ago, and those meetings I do today The owners of the companies now want to understand what it is, why are companies there, what are they there to serve, and it's got to go way beyond simply shareholder returns. And I think you're seeing a whole rebalancing now and the whole ESG, what we call environmental. Uh, Social and governance uh, society, I think social and social society, two things that go hand in hand, and governance of companies is far more important. For BP, environmental is all about what do we do about the fact we produce a product which is damaging the environment. It's been incredibly helpful in progressing economies over the best past 1950s, 60s, right through to where we are today, but clearly going forward, We can't consume the energy in the same way that we did to get to where we are today. And so therefore, I think there is a whole rebalancing now between it's not just about shareholder returns. There has to be an underlying purpose for the company. The regulator, interestingly, which is not always the best way into this, has come out and said, well, all companies need a purpose. Well, well, that's kind of helpful. But actually, it's when the owners of those companies start to drill down and understand, I want to own this company because I believe it's providing this degree of social responsibility. And is it is taking its role in the future of the planet or the future of our economy or the future of the UK within its remit. And I can now look at how it's gonna progress that. And then you go down a level and say, well, how's it gonna do that? So you have purpose, for me, purpose, strategy, and organization are three things which are interlinked. Once you understand what the purpose of the company is, You then need to be clear on strategy and strategy then leads to organization. Underneath that, and then within that organization, you need to have metrics that can demonstrate how are you doing in that space. And so if you go way below that, you say, well, actually, we're looking for a diverse workforce. OK, well, then in that case, I need metrics now to show me how you are doing that and how I can measure your success against what those metrics look like.
0: And I think it's really interesting the point that you're making because effectively you're rightly saying that purpose without a plan isn't really purpose and you have to have a strategy in place. And it's the same challenge I think that maybe a company like BP has faced. You know, in the past, I think often energy companies have been accused of say greenwashing on climate change and environment. And actually now you see a company like BP fundamentally changing its entire business model through reimagining energy to really rise to this challenge of getting to net zero. And, you know, it's a, it's a million miles away, if you like from greenwashing. Um, and they're, they're not the same thing. You know, one is uh, almost trying to rebrand what you're already doing and, and have a little bit of a look at it to, to see whether you can make it a bit more environmentally friendly. The other is a fundamental recast of how the business works. And I think what's interesting about BP is it's, it's going down the the second of those routes and it will be much more sustainable no doubt as a business model um, because of that.
1: Yeah no look I'm not going to comment on the history of where we've come from but we learnt a huge amount from beyond petroleum back in 2006-2007. The market wasn't ready for it at that point in time Um, and I think what you've seen is a massive paradigm shift to say well, let's now reposition this company to see what the future might look like by 2050. And therefore, we know there are some, and you know, we did this around the, the announcements from two weeks ago, there are going to be some pretty hard choices for us that say, actually, there are certain parts of our portfolio simply are not going to be able to compete in 2050 and will not be part of the underlying value set that we've laid out for the company. And that's why the, chief, the new chief executive has come out and said, in that case, we think, there could be significant write downs, uh, and there'll be some expiration options, which, in the old world, uh, were you know we weren't. So f- we were focused on climate change, but we weren't focused on the period under which it would actually start to happen. We believe COVID nineteen should try to accelerate that now. We hope that actually governments will make the brave step to start to accelerate the agenda around a um, a potential big push on climate change in terms of trying to get towards what we laid out in Paris back in 2015-16 and yeah it's I think it's a big brave step the company has now taken and it means that there'll be certain things we won't progress and you'll start to see those things disappear and there'll be new things we step into but I think it's going to be quite a delicate period of time and we are going to need some big signals from government going forward uh, that governments will get in and behind this and we look to try and accelerate what our future may look like um how you then go about doing that for me is really about how you look at inside the company. Where do you have really good best practice and how do you then copy that across to other areas? So I think you know it's a pretty exciting time right now. And I think COVID-19 for a BP in any if anything has accelerated um our energy and uh, commitment towards accelerating what that green future might look like.
0: I think that's spot on and in a way, it's just brought the future towards all of us faster on every single level. Uh, but it also, as challenging as it is, it also opens up some opportunities, doesn't it, to, to get to where we had already wanted to get to on things like environmental change even faster. And I, I think it's not just about planet, it's about people too. And in a way, that's for me why the social mobility agenda matters so much, because there is a chance to recast almost how our economy works but also how maybe businesses work as well which is why i think the uh, footsie purpose index really makes sense to me because i think it's giving us the chance to really encourage companies in more of a race to the top so that they can look at how they're approaching opportunity perhaps as much as they've looked at how they're approaching climate change and rise to the challenge of almost having a game plan on both of those things not just one of them and i think if we can work to make having the sort of opportunity action plan that we're putting in place for a number of the FTSE companies including BP as the norm then I think you really start to get a change on the ground hopefully.
1: Yeah no I think that's right I think if you think about it in terms of um, the broader stakeholder group I always hold that there are two really, the sort of, I always think of four stakeholders, um, people that you employ, the investors that buy into your company, your suppliers that supply you and your customers that you serve. And if you think of those four, four corners of a square or a cross or however you want to do it, um, I always think of that you've got to be able to ensure that the investors that want to own your company are being far more selective now about which companies they want to own in each sector. And i think e s g and society you seen a change
0: on that Brad? do you think oh, massively now are looking for the wider strategy on not just profitability but planet and people
1: yeah massively, and i've seen it I've seen it in spades i mean like you know my old you know, my old job, I retire at the end of this month, but uh, as I step down from b p as c f o um Ten years ago, nine years ago, it wouldn't have come up at all in investor sessions. Very rarely it would come up for conversation. In the last five years, it's, it's come on the rise far more in the UK. Um, and certainly in the last two years now in the United States um, in terms of the big investor holdings. So I think it is now takes up 50 percent of the conversations that we have with investors. So I think this is absolutely front and center. And it, it may be a different component of that societal agenda whether it be environment society or the governance and how companies are run with different players and different sectors Uh, but it is it is front and center and I think if you look at what's happened in the last couple of weeks around specific areas that are bubbling below the surface like Black Lives Matter like what's happening post-COVID-19 this inequality that we see throughout our system and I'm not I'm not getting into one specific area I'm just talking about the broader sense I think because the people that own the investors, if you look at the demographics now of your typical ownership of some of these big investment funds, uh, it's moving to much a more lower age demographic that is far, if you think about, and I come back to, I talk about um, investors and the people you employ, those same people are being far more selective now about which companies they want to invest their pension funds in. If you're 25 to 30, you're working for a company where you're putting money into a pension, you want to know what's happening with those companies and where they're putting their money and your money in terms of your future pension. Equally, you want to know about the company that you're joining and is that a company I want to work for? Um, So I think all of these things come together um, under this one umbrella.
0: I think that's right. And interestingly, the social mobility pledge, we did some research, effectively, um, just normal opinion polling, but to find out specifically what people's attitudes were towards the economic prospects looking ahead, but also where they saw businesses fitting into that in a sense. And it was really interesting because on job security and concerns over that. Actually, it was people over 55 who, who perhaps felt it was the bleakest outlook. And it may just be that those people have been alive for deep recessions like the 1980s in the past. Um, I certainly was, um, I was a child, but, but almost understand just how difficult they are for people and what they mean. Um, But when it came to the question about do you think businesses should be proactive in supporting communities that are being affected by a recession? Younger people were the most clear cut. They thought the answer to that question was yes. And they absolutely want to see businesses that are playing this wider role and that have this wider purpose of taking, if you like, a country's priorities and then building them into how the business runs too. And for me, I think purpose has always really been about the fact that businesses can be a force for good and purpose is really a company understanding how are you going to be a force for good in a wider country that you're part of a wider world in the case in the case of BP. So I think it's an important time for, for companies as they ask themselves those questions and work out how they can get, then deliver on the answers to the questions. But I think, um, in a way, the public are in maybe a different place than they've been in the past. And I think they will embrace the businesses that are able to work their way through those challenges and come up with some really creative, innovative solutions.
1: Yeah, no, look, I agree. Actually, if you think back, I remember living in the 80s, early 80s, with the right in Toxteth up in Liverpool. I was at university. But, you know, um, if you think about the social unrest that we saw back then, And actually emergence then of something called business in the community, the Prince's Trust, uh, that basically said business needs to lead on the recovery that we're gonna need to uh, put in place. And actually, I think we will have the same issue now. I think the government needs to set a framework that will allow businesses to thrive. And I think, you know, as we come through post COVID-19, and it's a little bit of a different recession because this is an engineered recession. This is not, um, it's not a recession in a typical sense. Nevertheless, the economic, Numbers and all the data we look at will look like a recession, and coming out of it will require all the same actions in terms of creating uh, the ability to be able to prosper and progress. But we've got to do that in a leveled up way, and business will absolutely have to lead on certain aspects of it, as we'll also see in the public sector. So I think um, it's going to be a pretty important time for us, and there are some history lessons of the past, I think, that will give us some indications about how to do that successfully going
0: forward. I think that's right. Now, Brian, I've got one final question for you, which is looking back to younger Brian, that. all those years uh, ago in Liverpool, what advice would you give to your younger self?
1: Hey, look, I, mean, I, I do a lot with speakers for schools with the kids and what I always say to them is the only thing that is limiting um, their progression is their own individual ambition. And one bit of advice I give to them is to use your disadvantage to your advantage. Companies are going to have to start to level up. And therefore, that means they're going to have to have uh, targets, goals, quotas, whatever you want to call them. And therefore, use to your advantage the background that you find yourself in. I know that may sound difficult because, you know, right now, we some conversations i've been having recently um would suggest you know there is a sort of i think this has hit the younger generation the hardest this whole lockdown over the last 12 weeks has definitely hit the younger generation and you're seeing that bubble up with the social unrest that we've seen in recent weekends but i think my message to them or to the younger brian would be continue to chase your dream and your goals and my my Big advice I always got off my father was, um, my mother was big on education, my dad was always, make sure that you always do your best. As long as you haven't left anything on the table and you haven't left anything, you, kind of, you, you know that you did the best and if your best wasn't good enough, that's okay, but do your best. And I think what I'd say to kids today is, don't be limited by what other people tell you you can and can't achieve. Uh, I think you know, the, the young generation of today is incredible. Um, and the kids I come across and meet are uh, just frankly extraordinary. Um, and I think their potential is huge. And, you know, the big thing for me is don't limit yourself by um, other people's ambitions of where you can get to.
0: Brilliant answer. Completely agree. And I think uh, it's been a pleasure having you on our Fit for Purpose podcast today, Brian. Um, and I'm looking forward to our continued to work together on the FTSE 100 Purpose Index. So thank you for, for being my guest.
1: Thanks very much, Justine. It's great.
0: Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then subscribe to the series or share it with a friend. See you next time.